What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Warrior Soul Podcast. My name is Chris Albert, and this is where we deliver tools, tactics, strategies, and ideas to help the U.S. military, veteran community, and anybody else willing to listen to live their absolute best lives. My guest today is a man named Mr. Daniel Gade. Daniel served in the United States Army. He was a graduate of West Point, the United States Military Academy, eventually rose to the rank of lieutenant colonel. And while serving in Ramadi, Iraq in 2005, he was wounded and lost a leg. Daniel went on to get his PhD in public policy, and he is currently a professor of public policy at the University of Georgia. He's coming on today to talk about his latest book. It's called Wounding Warriors. And in this book, Daniel brings up a concept that I think we all need to pay attention to, and that is the way in which the current system, the system is set up to keep veterans sick and poor. And if you think about this, and and a lot of you are going to have really, really crazy reactions to this conversation, but if you actually think about what's going on. The government is looking to get you to dance around for a few benefits, not focus on your life, not get you out there doing great things, not get you out there doing the next great mission of your life, but to get you to dance around for benefits. And Daniel is shining a light on that for us here. I've always said that the veteran community is the sleeping giant in this country and that when we wake up is when this country will truly wake up and truly achieve its greatness. And I believe that this is one of the major roadblocks for us. So I hope you go into this podcast with an open mind. You listen to what Daniel has to say and you check out his book, Wounding Warriors. Uh, I think it's a, a, an awesome book. I am also looking forward to uh, digging into it a little bit more. So with that, let's get into this conversation with Mr. Daniel Gate. Welcome to the Warrior Soul Podcast, Daniel. How are you doing today? I'm lovely, Chris. Thanks for having me on, brother. Uh, thank you for coming on, man. Um, for our audience at home, just give us a little bit of a background, who you are, where you're coming from. Yeah, totally. So I enlisted in the Army in 1992, a few months after I turned 17, and uh, was in the Army Reserve for like a year. And then I found out I'd gotten into West Point. So I went off to West Point, um, graduated from there in 1997, and commissioned in the Army as an armor officer, and did regular armor officer stuff, uh, Went was a scout platoon leader, tank platoon leader. Uh, on 9-11, I was actually a Ranger student. I just started Ranger School on 9-10. And so we thought it was sort of part of the scenario, but, um, so I didn't, everybody else got, you know, saw the towers go down that day and I did not, and didn't actually see any video of it till November when I was the undergrad of my class and, and got done with that. And then, uh, went off to Korea, actually, the army sent me off to Korea to command a tank company there. And I was in command of this tank company for about a year and a half when, uh, my boss and his boss came to me and said, Hey, Daniel, we're sending your soldiers to Iraq. Do you want to go with them? Or do you want to? you know, go on to grad school. And I said, you know, obviously I said, here, my Lord, send me. And so they did. I went to, went to Iraq in summer of 04, uh, landed in Kuwait, August 7th, 04, and deployed forward into Iraq at the end of August and, um, was serving combat for five months, uh, which isn't very long. I know a lot of people that you talk to, uh, serve a lot longer than that. Um, but Ramadi in 04 was 
five months was enough for me uh, because I was, I was wounded uh, twice by enemy fire the first time on November 10th, happy birthday, Marine Corps, um, by a rocket-propelled grenade, which uh, hit my tank during a firefight and uh, killed my loader, a wonderful soldier named Dennis Miller from LaSalle, Michigan. Uh, killed him instantly and wounded me mildly. And then uh, two months later to the day, I, I was hit by an IED that uh, uh, basically catastrophically injured me. I ended up losing my right leg at the hip and uh, spent basically a year in the hospital. Uh, but since you're a Marine, I'll tell you this story. Uh, when I, after I got blown up, uh, when a uh, CH-46, the Marine helicopter picked me up off the battlefield and scooped me off to the surgical station. And when I got there, my blood pressure was 60 over zero. And so uh, they gave me all the A-positive blood they had stored, and it wasn't enough. And they went to the mess hall and said, hey, if you have, if you have A-positive blood, we could use your help. And uh, 25 sailors and Marines who I did not know came over and donated their blood to save my life. So I'm at least partially Marine, uh, partially Navy, and uh, and fully alive. So so anyway, spent a year in the hospital, you know, five months. Did you months get any cravings for crayons after that? Yeah, yeah, dude, crayons. And uh, the, I won't tell you what the Navy blood did to me. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, <laughs> But I got rid of I got rid of that as fast as I could. Trust me on that deal. Uh, <laughs> let's just say my testosterone dropped significantly when I got all that navy blood. But anyway, so so I spent you know a year in the hospital, and actually that's where this book starts. So the book is Wounding Warriors: How Bad Policy Is Making Better and Sicker and Poorer, and that's where the book starts. Really, uh, in that experience at Walter Reed, because um, I was given. You know, I was seeing around me all the other soldiers, you know, soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, all these guys who got mangled were there. And a lot of them were beginning to behave in ways that I thought were deeply counterproductive. So sort of believing that uh, because they were heroes, that everybody owed them everything. And so, you know, free tickets to the football game, free this, free that, free cars, all of it. And I saw it begin to change their behavior. Instead of saying, okay, I want to thrive. I want to figure out how to be awesome going forward. A lot of these guys were like, I want to figure out how to get free stuff going forward. And I was like, oh my gosh, stop, you know? But um, yeah. so then, you know, during that time, I made the decision that I wanted to stay in the army. Uh, I was a captain, you know, almost a major at the time and and uh, decided to stay in the army because I didn't want the, my phrase, I didn't want the enemy to determine when I got out of the army. Um and so I went and got a master's degree uh, after that. And then I went and worked at the White House doing veterans policy for a year. And then I went back, got my PhD, and then I went taught at West Point. So it was pretty cool because during all that higher education, I was able to focus all that, all my energy on studying the problem of why don't more veterans thrive? Mm-hmm. And uh, the conclusions are really in this book. And, and you know, we have bad policy it, that's making veterans sicker and poorer. And that's what wounding warriors is all about. What was your PhD in public administration and policy oh, nice. from the university of Georgia? I'm a, I'm a PhD dropout myself. I went oh, good. Uh, uh, international politics and quantitative methodology. <laughs> Where? Oh, that sounds hard. Where were you? I was at uh, UC Santa Barbara. Uh, that's the, no, that's not the slugs. What's the slugs. That's my favorite. Uh, I don't know. The, they have the Armadillo. St. Louis Obispo or something. I think that, yeah, I think it's this, I, I think it's Cal Poly San San Luis Obispo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. The banana slugs are my favorite. But yeah, I so when I got out, uh, you know, I, I I was trying to figure out what to do, so I went to grad school, and, and that's how I ended yeah. up going all the way up. 
Um, and, uh, I remember my experience, I would walk around kind of with a chip on my shoulder being like, Hey, I'm a veteran talk. Uh, uh, and, and the girls there were, were gorgeous. So I would yeah. try to, you know, I was a Marine, right. And all that stuff. And, uh, you know, <laughs> they work for it. rarely worked, rarely worked. I think it worked <laughs> once, but <laughs> most of the time they'd get creeped out. Like, who, wow. Who's this old dude? I'm all of like 24, 25. They're like, who's this? Yeah, old? Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> so. funny. Yeah. So I was already married at the time, so I didn't have to, uh, focus on any of that nonsense, but university of Georgia is known for, uh, having very, very pretty people there too. So, mm-hmm. so let's talk about this. Um, you know, you get out and, and you're watching what's going on in the veteran community. And, and, you know, yeah. you're seeing guys talking about trying to get free stuff and, and kind of developing this mentality. And it, I'll be honest with you. That's one of the big reasons why this podcast exists, because I wanted people, the veteran community to stop focusing on, you know, what was so bad about being a veteran and start focusing on life and living life mm-hmm. and, and being perfect. And, and I, I always say to say to the audience, you know, the veteran community is a sleeping giant in this country and we've got to wake up. Um, so, so when you were noticing this, are you, are you, does that extend to like a national trend? Do you think that, that, that For this sure. is affecting us financially, mentally all around? Oh, all of it. Yeah. So I'll just give you some fast statistics. So some people say, well, the VA is underfunded and doesn't take care of our veterans that way. Well, the VA's funding in the last 20 years has increased, get this, fivefold. So 500% growth in the last 20 years. Um, so that's part one. Part two is um, the VA uh, spends, let me see, it's on disability compensation, it spends five times what it did 20 years ago. But the veteran population in the last 20 years has gone down from around 24 million to around 18 million now. So we've lost 25% of our veterans, but the spending has continued to go up. And the reason is um, because the VA spends a whole lot of money to keep people sick. And here's what I mean by that. Let's, let's, you got out when you were 24. So let's use you as an example. Let's say you had, uh, let's say you had mild or moderate depression, right? There's a couple things we can do for depression. We can, uh, in, we can get you more sunlight. We can get you more exercise. We can um, maybe put you on a SSRI or some kind of drugs or something like that. Or we can do talk therapy or some combination of all of the above. Or you can do some, some innovative kind of pharma, pharmaceuticals that are coming out now based on things like DMT and stuff like that. There's a ton of stuff we can do is my point. But the VA does none of that. Instead, they send you to a compensation and pension examination where somebody says, hey, do you have depression? You say, yeah. And they say, how often are you unable to function? And you say, this many days per month. And they make a, they make a, uh, a compensation decision on you. Let's say they give you 50% disability for it. And they never say, hey, here's your follow-up appointment. Here's, here's what you must do in order, to, in order to get better. They just say, okay, you're sick and you're going to be permanently sick, right? Right. And then, and then you're looking, you're making like, you're, you're looking at this and you're like, okay, well, 550% disability is let's say around $1,200 a month. If I can only get to 70% disability, that's like 1700 a month. And oh my gosh, if I can get to a hundred percent disability, that's like 3,200 for, if you have a, a spouse and a kid, that's like $3,200 a month tax free. And so your incentive as a brand new veteran looking out at the world is not to thrive. 
your incentive is to reach in and adopt what we call, what the science calls the sick role, which is a psychological term meaning you begin to perform those symptoms of sickness and illness and malaise so that you can get a higher compensation level. And it's entirely normal from an economic point of view to do that. So, you know, if you see two gas stations and one has gas at $1.25 and one has gas at $3.25, you're going to go to the place with $1.25, right? Because your economic incentive is to do that. And so for these veterans, um, or for our fellow veterans, I should say, the incentive is to go as hard as you can into the disability world to get as much money and free stuff as you can from the disability world. The problem is that that causes veterans literally to be sicker and poorer because what it does is it traps them in that place of, uh, frankly, not doing well. And that's a real problem. That's uh, so, I mean, the first time I, I remember the first time I went to the VA and I'm walking around and, and, you know, you see guys walking around with backpacks, they have their lunches, lunches there and everything like that. And I have uh, an autoimmune disease, right? So I, I, uh, I'm on, I, I'm actually on disability for it and, and actually, um, have to go to the VA to get treated for it. One of the things that I realized, cause I was a small business owner when I first went to the VA and I, you know, was working, I was, I was a student, I was all types of different things. Um, one of the things I noticed about the people who worked there, it was like, they, they, they seemed like I could spend all day there. Like, Mm -hmm. like I had nothing else to do. Like my life had to be going there, sitting there, waiting in a waiting room, waiting to talk to, to my veterans advocate, waiting to do this, waiting to do that coming back as much as possible, that kind of stuff. And that's one of the things I noticed very early on. Uh, and one of the things that kind of, kind of ticked me off because if you are going out there and you are trying to do things with your life and you are, um, trying to, 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 um, you know, move your life forward, it seems like there's a lot of incentives to pull you away from that. Uh, and not only that, the way the, the award letters are worded, um, it almost seems like if you get better, then this stuff is going to go away. And, and, yeah. and there's a huge, exactly what you're saying. There's a huge incentive to kind of play the role there. Yeah. And, and only rarely do people actually lose their benefits due to, you know, VA reexaminations, but also only rarely are people motivated to actually get better. And remember, you know, if you're a 25 year old and you're, let's say you've got all your arms and legs and your spinal cord is intact, you've got your vision, everything. And you're labeled mentally ill and unemployable, let's say, even though that's not true, nobody's unemployable. I mean, we all know guys who are, except for very serious brain injuries where somebody is like, you know, virtually a vegetable, everybody's employed. Um, but anyway, so you're labeled unemployable at age 24 lifestyle that's worth living. And so that 24 year old is looking and saying, okay, well, I'm probably going to die of old age at 84. So I've got 60 years. Am I really going to be sitting on the couch and doing this for 60 years? That's a long time. Right. And so, so the, the system saps people of meaning and motivation and value. It weakens their social relationships like this. You know, if you were, um, if, if you go to church or a bar and you're trying to meet somebody, I recommend you go to church. But if you're going to church or a bar and you want to meet somebody, the first question that woman is going to ask to you is, hey, what do you do for a living? 
she doesn't care about your name yet. She cares about what you do for a living because it's a screening question, you know? Yeah. It's a screening question that says, if we get married, could you take care of me and our kids if you had to? Right. And if your answer to that is, I'm a disabled better and I don't work, she's going to be like, hey, cool meeting you. And she's going to pivot on her heel and walk away. Why? Because, because you're not in a place that that's not a socially valuable thing to say, right? It's not a economically valuable thing to say. And so, and so this, this guy is facing a lifetime of this and he begins to believe that he's sicker and sicker. If he's, if he's really drinking whiskey on the couch every day, then he's going to fall into that cycle, which is not great. And then what happens? Well, we know we have a veteran suicide crisis right now, like mm -hmm. no surprise. Everybody knows this. But the suicide crisis is, I mean, suicide is, I say, the phrase I use for it is it's a disease of despair, right? Every single person who kills himself is either acting impulsively or they are um, making a deliberate decision based on despair. And, and the VA is stacked with policies that cause people to be more despairing. As a matter of fact, the VA spends more money on keeping people sick through disability payments than it does on getting them better through uh, health care. Literally, the VA spends more money on disability than it does on health care. It's, it's mind-boggling. So, so what's the solution? What's a different way of thinking about this? Yeah, in the, in the epilogue of Wounding Warriors, which is available right now, by the way, on, for pre-order on Amazon, uh, actually pre-order on Amazon, or you can buy it on the website, woundingwarriors.com, and I'll send you a, a personal, personalized signed copy. So uh, please avail yourself of that. But woundingwarriors.com, but in the, in the epilogue, I lay out a couple of principles to... That the VA and the policymakers could use to restructure their thinking. But first off, every policy that we have around veterans should be focused like a laser on the issue of, of reskill, upskill, and successful transition. Mm -hmm. So when somebody leaves the military, you know, when they come in, when we all went into the Army or Marines or whatever, um, you know, I, I say we were productive plows when we were civilians. And then the military brought us in and beat us into swords and sharpened us and polished us and everything else. And then, you know, famous old Marine Corps recruiting video about slaying lava dragons. Remember the yeah. lava dragon video? <laughs> that one got <laughs> so, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So, so you're, you're the sword that's used to slay our nation's lava dragons. Mm -hmm. And then when you're getting ready to get out, the policies should focus on taking all those swords and reforming them into productive civilian tools like plows. But instead, the current policy regime simply takes those productive swords or those dangerous swords and throws them in the corner and, and is surprised when they get rusty um, and when they don't get better. And so all of our policies should be focused on reskill transition and, and upskill. In other words, upskilling is like going to grad school, you know, mm -hmm. going to getting a college degree, or, you know, going to get a, a technical degree. Those are just as valuable in some cases oh, yeah. as, as um, college degrees or more in some cases in a way that helps them continue to thrive. So maybe that means, you know, of course, we're providing health care for certain kinds of conditions, but not every condition that we provide health care for is a disabling condition, you know? Right. Um, and so that's sort of part two is what we should do is change the way we think about and talk about disability. So um, the VA says, for example, that if you have sleep apnea and are prescribed a CPAP machine, positive pressure airway machine, that, that you are 50% disabled. 50%, Chris. So, so for a, a, a below-knee amputee is only 40%. Losing an eye is 30%.
losing half of your penis is 30%. But sleep apnea is 50. I mean, it's absurd. It's absurd. And the system, yeah. And the system is full of that kind of thing, which are, which are real conditions that Mm -hmm. really do need treatment, but they are not disabilities and we should stop pretending like they are. Um, so, so simplifying the disability system by, by separating out true disabilities from life conditions right. is part of it. Using the money that you save there to, uh, to do better, more successful, more holistic transitions is part of it. And then the end goal should always be, how can we make veterans into productive, worthwhile members of society, as you're doing on your podcast, instead of making them a problem class? And I think, again, that's so true. And there's a, a bunch of stuff you said there. I mean, it, it's, I think there's a lot of pressure on veterans to, to do this whole thing. I think there's also um, unwarranted pressure on veterans to go out there and pursue a four-year degree when, when yeah, I think, sure. you know, these days you can make probably more money in the trades. Um, yeah, and, for sure. And, and have a small business. Um, yeah. If you're a welder, if you're a welder and you're a, a journeyman welder with a union or, you know, you get a union job, you're making 45 bucks an hour probably. Yeah. And if you can be, if you're an underwater welder, you can make $300 an hour. And if you're an oh, underwater yeah. exotic metals guy, you can make $500 an hour. Like you can make a lot of money for a reason. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of undergrad education that is a complete waste. And I say that by the way, as a college professor, that's what I do professionally. Um, And I know that a lot of those kids are wasting their money, frankly. Oh yeah. I have a PhD in political science and I run a factory, a manufacturing business. So there's no way that was ever going to apply to anything in the real world at all. I thought about being a professor, but, but wasn't going to happen. But uh, so, so let me ask you about this because you did. You ran for Senate, uh, yep. it, 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 as uh, ran for Senate in Virginia, and you're a member of the Republican Party. And the Republican Party has classically gone along this philosophical line, right? Where, where you know we want people to be able to take care of themselves. We want. We don't want to create lines of dependency for people. But when it comes to veterans, exactly. the Republican Party has a very different tone and they're very scared of this. So, You're 100% so right. how do we change that? How do we how do we change that? And how do we make this look, um, you know, in a way in what it actually is, it's, it's helping veterans, getting them to take care of themselves, getting them to become this strong segment of society that they should be and not make it look like, oh, we're cutting off all veterans or anything like that, which is what I'm sure the media will, will, will take, a, take on when it comes, comes out. The Republican Party believes that anybody who ever even looked at a uniform, regardless of whether they were a, I used this example the other day in, the, in Dan Crenshaw's podcast, and somebody texted me and like, was all mad at me. I said, whether you were a, uh, a generator mechanic in the Coast Guard or whether you're a Medal of Honor you know, SEAL, the Republican Party looks at you and says, okay, you're a hero because you looked at a uniform. You know, you put on a uniform one time, and so you're a hero, right? And therefore, because you're a hero, you deserve everything. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. So the Democrat, because of that, it says they deserve everything. And so the left, the right, deserve everything. But they don't weigh Sense. Instead, they do it in a way that is, uh, you know, handing out money because there's a bunch of veterans groups 
you know, the disabled American veterans and the VFW and the AMVETS and all of those sometimes wounded war project, at least in the old days, those organizations are structured in such a way that their main effort is to get guys as much disability payments as possible. And so you have this deserve everything mistake, and then you have that monetize. And that's how we get to the place where we are right now, which is we spend about $140 billion a year on paying veterans to be sick. And to be sure, by the way, to be sure, there are veterans who deserve compensation for, or, or who we can, we can use a word like deserve with respect to. So, um, you know, I was talking to a guy the other day who's totally functional. He's, he's got some really cool stuff going on, but he's, you know, he was shot through the spine. He's a Marine, uh, force recon or maybe Raider battalion guy. I'm not sure, but shot through the spine in Afghanistan. He's a, he's paralyzed from like chest down forever. Now, is it okay to give him compensation? hundred percent. Yes. We just, you know, it's fine for him to cash those checks. I don't think there's any moral problem there, but we also have, uh, you know, I know of a guy who was a Marine again, not, not to pick on the Marines. This just happens that I'm two, two Marine examples in a row. This particular guy, um, had had a schizophrenic break in high school. His parents are both schizophrenics. He managed to get a waiver for his schizophrenia to join the Marine Corps, goes to combat as an 0311, infantryman experiences pretty tough combat comes back has a schizophrenic break they diagnose it as ptsd even though the symptoms of those things are totally different and now he's on 100 ptsd disability and it's like wait a second how is that the fault of the u.s taxpayer because remember like he had a schizophrenic break before this is a pre-existing condition why are we on the hook for compensating for it exactly and so that kind of thing, the system is rife with that. And in, in the book, Wounding Warriors, the website, woundingwarriors.com, in the book, and you can, by the way, you can read the first chapter and a foreword and uh, I think maybe two chapters on there. I have to check. But anyway, woundingwarriors.com, you can read it and so and order it. And so in the book, we give tons of examples like that. And, but re- the system is the problem not individual veterans. Individual veterans are often just responding to the incentives they're given. Right. The system that makes them go in that direction, that makes them sicker and poorer is what I'm really after, not, not the behavior of individual veterans. Right. And I think, you know, in some ways to, to, to change this, to make things better, you're right. We've got to completely uproot everything we've got to completely uproot the system itself and we have to get the focus on on you know i i had this dream when i started this podcast that there would be a time when being having served in the army the navy the marine corps would would be like you know graduating from college like graduating from an ivy league school or something like that where you know but, but not because everybody was giving us something, but because the people in the veteran community are so talented, so smart, so high performing that, you know, they're out there doing amazing things and people want to work with them. And I think that the problem that we've seen, particularly with my generation of veterans on, is that so many of them just expect something to be handed to them because they were a veteran. Um, yeah. So many of them think that a job should just come to them. So many of them think that they should be in a leadership position right off the bat once they're getting out. And that's just not the case. You've got to earn the trust. You've got to do the work and you have to prove yourself. Only about 15% of them even filed claims, even though 
Um, you know, her combat was really tough. I talked today, actually, super cute guy named Steven, uh, shoot, Franciac or something like that. 102 years old, landed on D-Day at D plus one, was wounded in combat twice during the march across Europe and ended up meeting the Russians at the, uh, at the Elbe river, which is totally cool. So just a cute old guy, like not even using a cane, no crutches, no nothing, no walker, just walking around, talking to people. I mean, just awesome. 102 years old. So cool. But so those guys had tons of combat exposure. I mean, they had tons of really serious combat against professional killers in the Wehrmacht or the Japanese or the, or the Japanese on the, on the um, Pacific. In our generation, only a tiny percent of people ever heard shots fired in anger. Um, only a tiny percent, 8% or so fired their weapons at enemy combatants, you know, and yet our generation of veterans files on average, about 50% of them file for disabilities. And the number of disabilities they claim is like eight per person. And it's like, really? Like we're, we're sicker than, than the world war two generation who literally fought with substandard equipment across all of Europe during a, a blistering winter, you know, that's crazy talk. So um, what's changed is the entitlement mentality. What's changed is the VA has become basically the candy man that nobody, that everybody's afraid to critique. And it just gives out, uh, it gives out compensation for stuff that's either age related. So let's say knees, back, stuff like that, or lifestyle related. So if you have sleep apnea, guess what? It's because you're fat, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly not the fault of the taxpayer. Um, diabetes, type two diabetes is a lifestyle condition. If you get your, if you get fat and you get old, you're going to get type two diabetes period, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not talking about amputations and gunshot wounds and, and, you know, brain injuries from explosions. We're talking about conditions of, of lifestyle conditions of aging. And the VA treats those as if they are the, the responsibility of the taxpayer. And, and we can make a case that maybe some of that is the responsibility of the taxpayer with respect to health care but not with respect to disability compensation. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I, I definitely see where you're coming from on that. Let me, let me ask you this. So how much pushback have you gotten on this? I'm assuming you've gotten tons. Um, and, and how, how have people responded to you and, and what types of arguments have they put up against this? Yeah. And, and, uh, wounding warriors is really well received so far. Uh, I gave a copy to the wall street journal and they reviewed it, called it one of the best books of September, you know, buy a copy, whatever. Um, and if you look at the four map, secretary Matta reviewed it, that he's the must read for um, former secretary, of the VA Nicholson, former secretary, of the VA Prince, former deputy secretary, of the VA Jim Byrne, more and more guys like that. North, prominent people you would have heard of in the epilogue i described how it's possible that some people could say that we're privileging like physical wounds over mental wounds and that's far from the truth i know mental health can be you know debilitating and it's obviously serious and can be debilitating i get that Um, and we're not privileging anything um but what we are pointing out is that incentives are in effect that we ought to take into account so so, yeah, I mean, I get some pushback for talking about this, but remember, look, I mean, look at my, uh, my platform is different, right? Because I, I, I have two purple hearts and one leg and a PhD in policy. So I sort of know what I'm talking about on the policy front and on the, um, on the uh, sort of credibility, street cred with veterans front. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. Um, 
so, you know, you've, you've done the book, but I also mentioned that, that you ran for Senate in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that experience like for you? I know you've got more, repu- more, more votes than yeah. any Republican in the history of Virginia. Um, right. You still weren't successful, but, but it must have been an absolutely amazing experience. How did you decide yeah. to run for Senate? What, what, uh, what made you do it? And, uh, you know, what did you take from the experience itself? Yeah, well, I really viewed that run for Senate as being a um, an extension of my military service in the sense that uh, when I was in the Army, I was under an oath to support and defend the Constitution. And I viewed that run as an attempt to have the people hire me to support and defend the Constitution. So that's it. Like, I don't need titles. I've already got plenty of titles. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need, you know, I, I don't need the influence, although it'd be great to use that influence for good. What I do want to do is serve others. And so that's why I ran. Um, and I, I thought it was a great experience. I mean, Virginia's beautiful. The people are awesome. You know, meeting everybody from, you know, the richest guys you can imagine to the guy, the farmer with hands this thick and the housewife and the school teacher and the this and the that. It was awesome. I just loved it. Um, and I think, you know, I encourage, I encourage veterans to run for office because if you want to see change, you know, if you want to fight for, and I don't care if you're on the left or right, frankly, right. you know, I'd rather have, uh, I'd rather have a Congress that's full of people who understand the, 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 the ramifications of, of defeat in Afghanistan, you know, or of endless war in Afghanistan who understand all of that so that they can make good decisions. I'd rather have, uh, you know, in some cases, I'd rather have a Democrat who's a veteran than a Republican who's not only because I, I think the veterans are making decisions in, in kind of a different, uh, in a different way, especially combat veterans, especially ones who, you know, who did the hard things. Cause there are, there are some pretty soft jobs in military too. Yeah. You know, uh, Bo Biden famously was, was in the army and, you know, he's a lawyer in the army. Is that different from being a lawyer in civilian world? No, not much. Um, yeah. So, yeah. The, um, so, you know, I, I think there's so many issues out there and, and I agree with you. I think that, um, you know, if, if we're ever going to, we can't just sit here and complain about how the country's going, right. We've right. actually got to go right. out there and do something about it. Yeah, do something, and, lift a finger. Yeah. And, and that starts with, you know, being more active in your community, um, stepping up, you know, trying to find leadership roles in your community, trying to volunteer, trying to do the same things you did while you're in the military itself. Right. And, and I think that's a, a big thing we've got to slam home. Um, one of the things I'm, I think I'm seeing on the, on the Republican side of things, you know, you mentioned that there's all these other treatments out there, like, you know, um, uh, taking care of yourself, but also, you know, checking out things like DMT, checking out things right. like, right. like, like, like psychedelic plant medicines and things like that. And, and all of these things are, are currently being looked at as potential treatments for veterans. Um, you know, the Republican party's classically not been a big fan of these things. Do you think there's kind of an awakening going on, 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 on the right side? Yeah. So I, I hope that the Republican party is willing to do that. And I, I'd love to be one of the leaders of that movement because I think that, you know, evidence-based treatments for veterans, even if they're sort of uncomfortable and non-standard for people who grew up in the sixties being afraid of, you know, marijuana madness or whatever. Um, I think some of that makes sense. And I, I think that because of the esteem people have for veterans, maybe that's a chance for us to kind of lead some, lead some conversations 
and lead people into conversations in a way that makes sense. But, you know, my goal on this, on the book, Wounding Warriors, woundingwarriors.com, another, another plug for it. Um, my goal in this book was to, was really to change the conversation around veterans. And if, if later I can help change the conversation around uh, alternative treatments, then I think that's, that's great. And I'm happy to do it. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, you know, Daniel, I think, uh, um, I really like where you're coming from on all this. And, and, uh, you know, I think that, that having the courage to write about this kind of stuff is, is, is big because, you know, it, it is a hot button issue. Um, when, when, whenever we think of veterans, we're almost like one of those protected classes that, that right. can't right. say anything or, or, or do anything. And, and so, yeah, it takes a lot of moral courage to do this. Um, you know, we're, where are people going to be able to find this book? Where are they going to be able to, to get access to it, to read it, to, to, to get more information? Yeah, totally. I, um, I've always wanted to say this, it's going to be available wherever books are sold. Um, the title <laughs> is wounding warriors. Uh, the best way to get it though, because it cuts Jeff Bezos's profits out of the equation entirely is to go to woundingwarriors.com and buy it there. And I'll send you a signed copy. Um, because that's what I do. But, uh, but yeah, so winningwarriors.com or wherever books are sold. And then starting on October 26th, it's available on uh, both Audible and digital platforms on, from the Amazon website. And I did the audio, Audible book myself because I, I felt like it was uh, super important to do it that way uh, and, and really enjoyed reading it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And are you on social media as well? Yeah, so I'm... Uh, uh, I, my Facebook is at sign G A D E F O R Virginia. That's my old campaign one. And that's where I, that's where I'm still active. And on Twitter, it's uh gauge for Virginia as well. Okay. And are you, are you planning on, on doing any more writing or, or any more, uh, um, any more running for office? I don't know about the running for office one. Uh, I like writing. I like this process. It was a lot of fun and I'd be open to doing more of that. But right now I need to make this book a success and tell the story. So I appreciate everybody. Go buy a copy. Wounding Warriors is the name. Absolutely. I'm definitely going to get one and, and definitely going to put the links up on the show notes for this episode as well. Well, again, Daniel, I just want to acknowledge you. I really, really appreciate you for coming on here. I really appreciate your courage. Um, really appreciate your desire to get out there and to help and to continue serving uh, this awesome country. And I want to thank you for, for your service and for your sacrifice to this country as well. Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate you and what you're doing with the uh, this great podcast. Awesome. Awesome. And to everybody out there, I really want you to think about what we talked about here today. You know, it, it is a hot button issue. You may be on one side of it or the other, but, but, but really take a minute to think about this situation honestly. You know, are we being honest with ourselves as a community? Are we actively you know, really trying to help ourselves to move forward or are we throwing a wrench in the system that, that keeps us from moving forward? So think about that stuff. As I always say, get out there and live your best lives while you can. This is Chris and Daniel and we are out.